I would suspect that most of us would answer yes to the question on the screen. At some point, we have been somebody's project. Oftentimes, it seems like it's our spouse or our parents. There is something they want us to do or change or learn, and they've determined we need to do that. And that's what they're focused on. And sometimes it seems like every interchange is about what they're wanting us to do and we haven't done yet. They've already decided the outcome of what I need to do or stop doing. And um, they've decided where I'm missing it, where I'm wrong. And they keep reminding me of that. When you're somebody's project, how does that make you feel? What are some words that come to mind when you are somebody's project? Broken? Inadequate? Hmm? Manipulated? Hmm? Leave me alone. <laughs> huh? Loser. Defensive. Is anybody digging their heels? I do. What did you say, Mike? Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Well, unfortunately, as we are working through unchristian and the concepts, the, the perceptions that those outside of Christianity around us today in the U.S., especially younger adults, high school through 35, one of the perceptions that they have of us is that we are only interested in them as a project, as numbers. We just want to get them, and that's our focus. We don't really care about them as persons as much as we see them as projects or potential converts, and our focus is converting them. 30, only 34%, I could say that the other way, 60-66% of outsiders do not feel like we genuinely care about them. We don't care about them as persons. Now what's very interesting in this, and in all the study in the book, and all the research, this was one of the greatest disparities, our perception of how we come across as Christians, and how they perceive us. I need to say that statistic the other way. I tried to wing it, and I, made, I shouldn't. Because to see this comparison, only 34% of outsiders feel like Christians genuinely care about them. Only 34%. How do we come across? 64% of us think we come across as really caring. But in reality, only 34% think we care. That's the biggest gap in all the different things they looked at. One of the ways I, you see this in churches all the time is if you ask the people who regularly come to a church, is this a friendly church? And those who come all the time will say, oh, yeah. You ask the visitors, is this a friendly church? No. It's that perception of how we think we come across versus how we really 
come across. And as we say anymore, perception is reality. That perception we create is the reality those outsiders deal with. They see us as only focused on them if we can win them, if we can bring them into the church. Let me read one of the quotes. This is from a, a young man named Stephen. He had just moved to New York City, and he was riding the subway in New York City. And he says this, A young guy approached me in a subway station once, friendly, full of questions, interested in talking. He seemed really nice. I couldn't believe a New Yorker was being so nice. So we exchanged phone numbers, said we'd hang out sometime. Next time I heard from him, he invited me to a Bible study, and that was all he wanted to talk about. When I said, no thanks, I never heard from him again. Rather than being genuinely interested in people, their friendships, in people for their friendships, we often seem like spiritual headhunters, looking for who we can conquer next. They see us as only interested in them for our benefit. We want to bring them into the church so they can make us look better. So that we can have bigger numbers. So that we can have marks on our spiritual scorecard. We can boast about the number of baptisms we've had this year. Or our membership grows. Or we have more giving and more money so we can build bigger buildings and increase our revenue stream. That's how they perceive us. Now the question becomes, well, why do they see us that way? Unfortunately, with most perceptions, there is some piece of reality. Even if our motives may not be that way inside. What causes this perception? Well, where does it come from? Well, I'd like to throw out several different things for us to think about that I think all contribute to this. First of all, in our culture, the United States, there is clearly a value system. I'm not talking about church now, just in our culture. Bigger is better. Bigger buildings, bigger malls, nicer, faster, bigger, and that's better. The problem is that as we have lived in that culture for decades, too often that has become a value of the church. So that if we can talk about bigger buildings or bigger memberships, now if you bristle at that, think back to your last conversation when you talked with a friend about your church and their church. How do we usually talk about different churches and comparing them? Well, uh, how's your attendance? Uh, have you built what your building doing? We talk about those things linked to how big the church is. Well, all of that promotes this image that that's what we're interested in and see people as a way to get to that. That's one contributing factor. Another contributing factor is that too often the story of Stephen is a true story and that people are our projects we are interested in getting to know that person at the counter 
so that we can perhaps invite them to church. When we find out they're going somewhere else or they don't go to church or whatever, we're done with them. They are only a project for us. And if that soil is hard, we move on to fertile soil. And we talk about that in spiritual terms, don't we? But that person who has been left behind feels very much they were just a project. One of the other things you'll read in the book they talk about is so often they don't feel we really listen to them. We don't stop to listen. We have what we want to tell them. We have the truth and we want to put it on them. And we don't take the time to get to know them. What are their issues? What are their perspectives? How do they see life? How do they see spiritual things? Uh, just whatever else is going on in their life. They're simply someone we want to get somewhere. I think one of the biggest issues, and they talk about this in the book, is that too often we have been guilty of making Christianity a decision. We decide to accept Christ. We put in publicity our decisions. The problem with that is if we, accept, if we focus on being a Christian means I have made a public confession. I have been baptized. I have now become an official member. But what I want you to see is if, if that's the goal, what's after that? I've arrived. I, I'm, I'm, I've completed it. I've made my decision. But you see, I'm not done. We all know that. Christianity is much more than just a decision. It is a relationship. It is something that is ongoing. It's not just being baptized. And I think we've all been, uh, not all, a lot of us have been guilty of just we, we just substitute that phrase. Have you been baptized? It's not, are you following Christ? Are you in a relationship with God? It is a one-time act, which promotes this idea of I'm interested in people so that they will commit this one-time act. And that's how they see that. One of the other things that they talk about is how outsiders see our efforts. There's a lot of change going on in the church. But I would suspect if I asked for a show of hands, there would be a lot of people in this room who would say they came to Christ as a result of a revival. There's enough older people in this room who would say that. Or, or, or some of those sort of large organized events. Now what has happened, and I, I would be one who would raise his hand there. I remember in my farm town, we couldn't wait for the annual summer revival. A great speaker would be brought in, a great song leader, singing group, and for two weeks, I and my three buddy, two buddies would sit in the back row. And it was just, it was the greatest thing going on in town for two weeks. And a lot of people came to Christ. The problem is today, we live in a very different world. And that revival, were it to occur, would not be the best entertainment in town. Nor would it be the best music in town. 
and I could hear a far better speaker on TV. And the world has changed. But a lot of us as Christians are still focused on those large events or handing people a tract or some other kind of organized, can I say often impersonal, approach to attracting someone to Christ. But what the outsiders are saying is that that makes them feel like this consumer who is trying to be lured in as a part of the marketing campaign. Because it is, by nature, impersonal. And what the research is showing today is that those kinds of large event approaches actually create more negative impact in 35 to high school than they create positive. For every one person attracted, three to ten are driven away and turned off because they see it as very impersonal. And that for them is a a huge negative in a, a group that is very focused on relationship. And it's about friends and, and knowing people. Uh, we went, uh, Russ actually, Peterson and I went down to the campus ministry and sat with Brad doing, and said, Brad, how do you attract young adults? And Brad has a very effective ministry on the U of M campus. And Brad said, it's, it's relationships. With young adults today, it's relationships. You can put on the greatest program in the world and their first question will be, Who's coming? Is my friend coming? The program is irrelevant. Who's coming? If my friends are going to be there, I'll go to the dumbest thing in the world because my friends are going to be there. It's relationship. And that's the value that drives young people today. And so approaches that aren't focused on relationship for them are a huge negative. They want to know people and have people know them. Well, I share all of this, as I've done every week, only to prepare us to say it's really time for a better approach. We need to change what we're doing. First of all, the obvious thing that comes out of everything I've said is that we need to focus on people as individuals, on building relationships, getting to know them as individual persons, so that we know what's going on in their life. What concerns them? What are they excited about? What are they looking forward to on Friday? Like Dave talked about. What are they worried about? What do they hope to accomplish next year? What are their dreams? What makes them tick? How have you been involved in their life in any way? Those are the building blocks of relationship. What have you done together or how have you helped them in some little way where you've said by your actions, I I care, I'm a friend. And I've helped you fix something or move something or given you a ride or any little way of saying, I really care about you as a person. Whatever you do with faith, I care about you as a person. We don't allow ourselves to see them as a project or a decision. Isn't that really what Jesus was talking about when he said the second greatest commandment? 
You remember this in Matthew 22. Jesus is really trying to be trapped by one of the scribes and Pharisees. They had the, all the commands of God organized in a priority list. And it was a big controversy of how your priority list went for all the commands of God. And so they think we'll trap Jesus. And they say, Jesus, what's number one of all the 600 plus commands? And he says, no problem. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But he didn't stop there. He was only asked, give us number one. He wouldn't stop there. He said, but I got to tell you number two. And number two is love your neighbor. And we know from some of the other stories Jesus told, when he used the word neighbor, he wasn't just referring to those inside the Christian family. He was talking about Samaritans and adulterers and prostitutes and everybody who's around us that we encounter. Those are our neighbors, Jesus said, and we need to love them. Love them in the way we would like to be loved. Care about me like I want, I mean, I want to care about them like I want them to care about me. And that's really where it all begins and where it needs to begin for us. But I think second to that, and I think this will bless us as much as it will bless those outside the church, we need to really change how we see ourselves and what it means to be a Christian. I think we need to look at our vocabulary and how we talk so that we less and less see being a Christian as a decision, as a one-time act. I was talking with somebody this week, and, and they were saying, and you'll see this uh, more and more in Christian literature, of maybe we need to stop using the word Christian and talk about being a disciple, a Christ follower, some word that helps us see this. What it means to be a Christian is that I am walking in relationship with the Father in heaven, I am walking as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just that I've made a decision. It is an ongoing thing that's happening in my life because then I'm trying to invite people to this journey with me, not to make a decision and then we're done. But you see, that's going to be a win-win because that reflects how we see it. And if we are still in that mode where I made that decision, I got baptized, I have that um, certificate, or I have my membership role, then we're not focused on that ongoing journey with Christ. And what is Christ doing in my life, and how am I following him and walking with him? I love that image of Jesus coming to the disciples and said, Come, follow me. I've often told people, I think every one of us needs to see that in our heads to, to us. Because I believe that's really what Jesus says to every one of us. You, come follow me. That is an ongoing journey he is inviting us to take. To get up, leave our nets, and we're going to start walking with him through life. And all that that will mean just like it changed the lives of those 12 guys. It will change our lives as we see being a Christian as this ongoing decision. There's a lot of short phrases to describe evangelism. I think one of my favorites is this. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. 
I love that for several reasons. It's not that I have the truth and I've given it to somebody who doesn't have the truth. I too am a beggar. I'm a sinner. I just am, am fortunate because I found a source of bread. I found a source of life and I, I just want to pass it along to another beggar. And seeing people not as somebody who is this sinner who needs the truth that I have. I like this image. Which picture is how you see the Christian? Too often we viewed it as crossing the start line, haven't we? And if we get somebody to cross the start line, we're done. We've done our job. But I was thinking about that. Can you imagine a coach who spent all of their time training somebody how to stand in the blocks and how to come out of the blocks? And at that point says, great, you're ready. I have done my job. We would all say that coach miserably failed. Because the truth is that race isn't over. The training that's needed isn't finished till the finish line is crossed. And the coaching is way beyond just the start blocks. It's how to run that race, your stride, your breathing, all the pieces of that, and how to finish well. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if we start to see faith as Christianity, as that whole race, that whole journey, it also changes what we invite people to. And you see, then we're not inviting people to a decision we're inviting them to a life-changing journey. It's for their benefit and not just our benefit. It's so that they experience this new life, this different kingdom, this race that they run and feel like they're winning. You see, then we've invited them to something that blesses them and not just for us. I want to read another quote if you haven't looked at the book, in the book at each chapter, at the end of it, there's a follow-up chapter after that issue, and they go to respected Christian leaders and say, what do we do about this? And for this chapter on, we're just interested in proselytizing, they have a quote from Chuck Colson, who just passed away, interestingly enough. And he says this, Consider the rise of the Christians during the Roman era. People were drawn to Christians, not because of evangelistic outreaches or crusades or mass media. Those didn't exist. The church grew because Christians were doing the gospel. And they had a community, a local church, where people really loved each other. During the great plagues that swept Rome in the second century, all of the doctors fled Rome. But the Christians stayed and took care of the sick. They embodied what Christians are called to do. Although many Christians died because they took care of the sick, pagans were drawn to Christ because they saw both the love of Christians and Christianity itself as a better way of life. When Constantine declared Rome the Holy Roman Empire, 
People thought he did it for political reasons, but he didn't. It was already Christianized. He just recognized the reality of what had already happened. Because the lives of the Christians were so attractive to the pagans. Because of how they cared. How they lived their faith out. That's inviting people to the journey with us. I think part of this is what we have on the back wall. We've talked about this in previous years. These pieces of being a Christian. That it's more than just a decision. It's connecting relationships so that we're not alone. And we're inviting people to those relationships. And we're helping those relationships form. And in that process, we're helping people grow, learning different ways of living, relating to God, understanding God and Jesus, and how to build a relationship with the God of the universe, and how to live life in different ways. And through that whole process, off to the side is kneeling or worship. We're helping people have their own time with God here in a worship service, but every day in their own time with God of prayer or reading the Bible or being still with Him. And in that process, learning the, the benefit of serving others, of not filling my life with self. There is a different way to live that is more fulfilling, learning the, the fun of serving somebody else, cooking for homeless families, coming to help their kids play. And that I walk away, I really feel better than had I lived that night for myself. Because that's how Christ lived, because it is better. And helping people understand that and moving to the level where we actually care for those out there around us who aren't interested in what we do in here, who think we're crazy, but we still care. But when we see this is what it means to be a Christian, then we're inviting people to a whole life that really does change. And when we see it that way and we live this way, they see it in us. And our faith is much more than just being baptized. It is a life-changing journey that we're on. How do you see outsiders around you? Are you interested? Are they just your project? If they say no, are you still interested in them? How we see them will totally determine how they perceive us as caring about them. Just numbers or persons, real people, whom we know God loves deeply and asks us to love them too. Let's pray. Father, this at times is painful because there's some truth in what we hear. Of seeing people as projects we want to fix. Of being interested in them as long as there's a chance they'd come to church with us and then moving on. Some of their perceptions, Father, are more true than we want. 
Father, may we hear this challenge and love like Christ loved, healed without strings attached, fed. He just cared and loved people and was involved in their lives. May we be Jesus like him, like the early Christians who by their love drew people to you. Help us, Father, to figure this out. Guide us that we would be a church where this community knows we care. In your son's name, amen.